I'm going to be very candid with you. We are living in a computer program. Welcome everyone to Simulation Nation, your portal to all things virtual. I'm your host, Johnny Android, and I'm here to keep you informed about all that's happening in the metaverse. We record our episodes live in Altspace every week, and you can join us from your PC or VR headset. Just log into Altspace, join our Simulation Nation channel, and teleport in to offer your opinion, question, or whatever else. Today, we cover Source Code. This movie dates all the way back to 2011. It stars Jake Gyllenhaal as a U.S. Army captain who is sent into a computer-simulated reality to find a bomber on a train. We'll see if the movie's got what it takes to break our wow meter. And joining us again, Council of the Wise, master of virtual disaster, Futurosity. Give it up, yeah. <laughs> hello, hello. Thank you, thank you. Uh, we got Kalisti Don here. We got Ender, and of course, always uh, hero protagonist. So, um, so yeah, here we go. Source code. So, first of all, before we movie, how are things with you? I should say we uh, we did an episode of Demio, the uh, virtual reality game, uh, a couple weeks ago, and now they just released uh, the second level, which is the Realm of the Rat King. And we were able to play it the other night. What did you think of Realm of the Rat King? Oh, Realm of the Rat King was a blast. I mean, it's nice that they updated the game so quickly after release. I mean, originally at first, it seemed like, okay, is it going to be five months, three months? No, I mean, it was much faster and just more adventures. I mean, I can't complain about that. Yeah, I, I, I think this level, uh, by the way, just make sure you've got your Amplify Your Voice on so everyone can hear you wherever you are in your host tools. Um, but I thought that uh, Realm of the Racking was so much more difficult. The, pro the only problem we had with the first level was that it was pretty easy to beat. And Realm of the Racking, I'd been playing it a number of times on my own, just like skirmish rounds, and it was like killer. So the interesting thing was we went in last night and we only had two players and I found it was like way easier in the sense that there was much less villains and bad guys. Um, but, and we didn't even meet the Gorgon last night. So there's like some crazy ass uh, uh, monsters roaming around those uh, sewer pits, but um, I really enjoy it. It was a real challenge for me to beat the rat King. I didn't do it for the first couple times I was through uh, the maze and um, I really enjoyed it. And I love that game. I keep going back for more. Oh, yeah. I mean, just the fact that, I mean, the difficulty curve has definitely gone up a notch, but the AI seems a little bit smarter. So they definitely made some nice changes this time around. Totally. And I, I noticed online, AI is hard. I noticed online today, too, that they are having now a narrator who narrates your moves as though he's the dungeon master or she's the dungeon master. So it's like, and now the sorcerer uses the car to zap the villain with its work, like that kind of thing. It's kind of interesting. I want to try that out. Actually, that sounds amazing. I love that. <laughs> I mean, I kind of do it myself in the back of my head, but now I get to hear it. Yeah. Even better. Exactly. Either of you guys, Ender or uh, Clacy Don, have you guys played uh, Demio yet? Uh, yeah, you'll just have to give a thumbs up. No, not yet. <laughs> okay. Um, but uh, let me, yeah, <laughs> I, let me turn on host tools. Uh, that's a good idea. I forgot to do that. Let me go. There we go. Okay. So now if you guys got anything to, to say uh, or, uh, or ask or whatever, just uh, please uh, use the raise hand tool. Uh, but but the reason we're here, the reason we're here is to talk about uh, 2011's source code, um, which is uh, really interesting. I haven't watched it since it first came out in its entirety. I've, I've watched bits and pieces of it uh, um, uh, throughout the years, but I haven't seen it in, I guess, about 10 years. So it's really fun to watch it again. Um, 
this was your uh, recommendation. So what are your overall thoughts? Were you happy watching it again? Are you a big fan? Had you seen it before? What's your story? I'm a big fan of source code. I mean, I'm a big fan of Duncan Jones as a director. I mean, starting with Moon. I mean, just a wonderful movie. He's great with creating set pieces that mostly take place in one location. Um, that's one thing I love about source code. I mean, it's literally that train is 90% of the movie. So the fact that he's able to use these limited locations and pull out so much texture, so much character, so much action within only a handful of characters in a repeating scenario, um, source code is very satisfying. Um, I actually, I've watched it a few times in the last few years just because it's fun to revisit the looping time movies. I mean, similar to Groundhog's Day and others. It's another play on that same trope and it's a, you know, quite successful at it. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think it's it, it takes the idea of the time loop, but it does it in a completely different way. So it feels fresh again. It feels new and it really takes shortcuts like it pretty much stays true to its logic. Uh, and I, I love that about it as well. I think it's interesting. You, you bring up Moon because I, I, I as I was watching this and I don't know when the last time you guys saw Source Code was, but as I was watching it, I kept thinking, wow, there's a lot of similarities with Moon in the sense that it's like, what is your identity? Are you really who you think you are? Um, you know, sort of sci-fi elements that come in that make you question uh, reality and the illusion of self and all of that kind of stuff. So I can definitely see how this is a perfect second movie for Duncan Jones, uh, you know, in his sort of oeuvre. Um, and, I, and I can't help but always geek out of the fact that uh, his dad is David Bowie. I mean, how cool is that? Oh, yes. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. Very, and very it's very cool. cool that he is able to, um, I guess, transcend being the son of someone famous and, in and incredible and find his own voice and be a great filmmaker in his own right. You know, it's like people think, um, oh, well, he had to, you know, all the opportunity was given to him and he had the silver spoon in his mouth. And I, I choose not to look at it that way. I choose to see all the people um who are sons and daughters of famous people who kind of go in the wrong direction they go into drugs and clubbing and they just like lose track and they maybe can't deal with the pressure or whatever so i always feel like they have a, a different set of challenges and struggles that maybe most of us don't understand but i think they're still real and i think that for him to commit himself to a craft that's as difficult as uh, directing films at a studio level and to really execute that on a high level, I think is great. And I don't judge him for having a, a famous father. As a matter of fact, I think it's, it's great that he's found his own voice. Oh, definitely. I mean, also the fact that this is his second film. I mean, a lot of filmmakers, unfortunately, the second film can change a lot of things. Totally. You know, usually there's more pressure, there's more money. So the studio gets heavily involved. In this movie, it felt very much a Duncan Jones movie. So I love the fact he was able to progress to a larger movie, higher budget, more action, but also keep it within his frame of reference and keep his personal touch and style through the whole thing. Absolutely. Quite commendable. Yeah, absolutely. Great style as well. Going, Aaron Dodger, Nexus, uh, Austin. If you guys got, how's it going? If you guys got uh, any overall thoughts on the movie, please use the raise hand option. We'd love to hear uh, what you have to say. Otherwise, we'll just jump right into the next section here. Um, so, uh, yeah, we'll just dive right into the plot. Do you do you want to uh, give the summary of the plot for our listeners and viewers on YouTube who maybe uh, haven't seen the movie, or or do you want me to? Oh, sure. I, I can give yeah, it a shot. It. Well, you know, this is a, this is a 2011 sci-fi action thriller 
episode. And Jake Gyllenhaal plays essentially a helicopter pilot for the U.S. Army, terribly injured in that line of duty. And essentially, he's continuing his service post, quote unquote, death. Essentially, his family, everyone involved in uh, his life, have been informed that he died. We, we should also say spoiler so alert. We should also <laughs> <because> <laughs> we should also say spoiler alert. Ten year movie. Ten yeah, year ten year movie. movie. That's our rule. If it's over ten years old, you don't you don't have the right to complain to us about spoilers. <laughs> yes, but he is dead, and he is now working in some kind of simulation uh, experiment. Exactly. All right, keep it keep it going. And essentially, it's, and essentially, it's a mystery. It's a question of the technology allows us to go eight minutes back into the past of a person's life. Essentially, those last remaining moments for the lights go out. And there's a terrorist attack that occurs on this commuter train. So this person essentially finds himself within someone else's body, happens to be residing on the train. And we get to see the mystery unfold step by step as he suddenly realizes he's not this person. He's actually this individual who's in a laboratory who's assisting the government to take down terrorists you know, in various plots. So it's a question of within those eight minutes reoccurring over and over again, can they solve this mystery in time before these terrorists conduct other acts of violence elsewhere? Yep. Yeah, that's 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 a really great uh, summary. And, you know, I think the plot is great. So I have to I have to tell you sort of where I first came across source code. So I, I was a story analyst for Amazon Studios for a couple of years back in the day, and this movie hadn't been made yet. And uh, there was a pile of scripts that I was uh, reading. I, I probably read for a, uh, over 300 scripts in a year, so at least a script a day. This is one of the ones that came across my desk. And, and to give you guys an idea how difficult it is to write a great script, of those 300 scripts, I was supposed to sort of siphon through them and figure out which ones I would recommend to the studio and which ones I would pass on. You would not believe it, but I passed on about 298 scripts. 298 of the 300 wow. were just not great or they weren't well written or the plot had many holes in it or the characters weren't developed or it wasn't right for the studio. Um, there's just it's just really, really hard to write a great script. So then I I pick up the script for source code, had never heard anything about it. Open it uh, uh, a page one. I was hooked and I was like, wow, this is really like what's happening. It kept, kept catching me off guard. So the first eight minutes happens, the train blows up and then he's in a special place and then he gets rebooted and they're saying these strange words to him. And it's like, what is going on here? And it just kept drawing me from one page to the next to the next. And most scripts if you're lucky, we'll get you to page five or maybe the end of act one, maybe page 25. But this one get me all the way through and it never hitched. It never like I felt like, oh, I fell off now. Oh, this is the jump the shark. I don't believe this. All the way through, I thought the script was super solid. I went running to the people. I'm like, guys, I got you the script. I got the one. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry, that wasn't supposed to be in the pile. That's already getting made with Jake Gyllenhaal. And I was like, oh, it's the one script I thought I discovered <laughs> that I loved. Oh. So, but I, but I think the point is that um, all the way through for me, the plot, even watching the movie or reading the script, it still works. I just think that they found a way to keep it fresh and interesting. And every step of the way, there's a new uh, piece of information that's revealed that keeps you wanting to read more. So it's, it, 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 it reveals just enough information page by page that it doesn't feel like there's an exposition dump. It doesn't feel like then there are like 10 pages or 20 pages where there's nothing happening. It's a really tight, compact script that's well-paced. 
Uh, you know, it's a good solid 90 minute movie. And I think they did a great job. I think the script, I actually think the script is a little bit better than the movie for the, for the one reason that when you're reading a book, when you're reading a script, it doesn't matter that it's so contained. Whereas when you watch the movie, sometimes you want that expansive world uh, that's visually interesting and constantly moving forward. Whereas the problem with these time loop movies is you're constantly going over old territory again and again. And so you're constantly on that yes. train. If there was one criticism I have, it's just that I, I don't watch the movie as much as maybe I would because it, just, it feels a little small and a little contained and a little repetitive in that visual sense. Otherwise, the plot, I think, is great. So that was a that was a whole lot. Anyway, if anyone else has anything to jump in on the plot, <laughs> uh, Nexus ET or Aaron Dodge or Ender, anyone who has a, a, an opinion or a thought on that, no. Um, so I don't know. Any, is there any parts of the plot that didn't work for you or that you liked in particular, uh, Futurosity? Well, overall, when it comes to the plot of the movie, it followed all the right rules when it comes to creating a mystery. The rule is if the audience can't, follow along with the mystery and solve it along with the main character, it doesn't work. And that's one thing I loved about Source Code is the fact that it followed its own internal logic all the way through. They always had new clues that gave, gave you a little bit you know, more detail, but also there were a couple of red herrings that I really loved as well. You know, every once in a while you think, oh, he finally got the guy, found the terrorist. And then, you know, we kind of go to another direction with it. So overall, I, I felt very solid. I mean, it has an internal logic that works, had nice enough thrills, had enough wow moments and surprises. Um, overall, I, I think it, it's logically sound. But one thing that did bother me, mm-hmm. acceptance of the mission. Jake mm-hmm. Gyllenhaal's character discovers he's in these terrible circumstances. And I felt like he adapted a little too quickly to following through on the mission. Mm-hmm. He's getting briefed, learns all these terrible things about his previous life, he kind of goes along with it a little bit faster than I expected. I expected a little more pushback, mm. you know, when he goes on to round, round two or three of those eight minutes. Yeah, um, that's interesting. That's so what, for me, though, wasn't it that uh, the um, the major said that she would uh, unplug him and and relieve him of his duty and relieve him of his torture if he would go through with the mission? Wasn't that his that became his goal? Or are you talking even before that? See, that was a it, that's the hard one because I wasn't really sure necessarily because he, he kind of slowly but surely kind of accepted his circumstances. Remember, at first he's cold to everyone on the train. You know, he acts like none right. of you matter. None of you are. He slowly starts to progress into realizing, hey, these people still have value, even though he's, he's within a simulation of sorts. So I did like that progression. You suddenly realize, oh, now he's starting to care for these people. He's reliving their last mm-hmm. moments over and over again. So I, I will acknowledge that that was a nice, smooth trajectory, but I just think his initial choice to, you know, okay, you're going to kill me. All right, I'll mm. do it. It happened a little too right. fast. It was a little, little abrupt right. for my taste. But overall, the other side of the arc really worked right, nicely. Right, right, right. Yeah, I, I think so. The only, you know, the only, for me, the only spot that they cheated on giving us information that was too misleading, maybe, was the fact that he had hands and if legs in the simul in the um the pod that he was in when he uh, was not in the train 
he was able to walk around. He had legs. He had hands. And spoiler alert, of course, uh, for those of you who haven't seen Source Code, hopefully you all have. Um, we learned that he's actually has no legs and and has no arms. And it's like, well, and they their 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 logic was it's sort of phantom limb syndrome and you're projecting your digital self, kind of like Neo in the matrix where it's like, this is a projection of your digital self. And it's like, yeah, I guess, but it's kind of, it's kind of, that's the only one that was a, a cheat. I don't think that they could have done it any differently though. Like I feel like you can't have Jake Gyllenhaal's head just talking the entire time. You've got to see him walking around in that space. <laughs> so it was kind of, they're stuck between a rock and a hard place. And I know that why they, did what they did and probably it was the right choice. It just was the one area that was a little bit of a cheat for me, but otherwise the plot is, is super tight. Um, I do agree with that as well, that, that space, but I did enjoy the fact that he kind of had a little Neo moment when he actually expanded the space on his own. You know, essentially mm -hmm. it was almost like he was stuck in this little small, you know, small cave of sorts, you know, like this little cockpit and somehow it expanded little by little, be a little more comfortable. That was kind of neat. I was actually expected him to have more abilities. The first time I watched it, I assumed, oh, if he can control that space, maybe he might be able to do a little bit more, but they never really explored mm -hmm. that. That was one thing I kind of was hoping for in a way. I thought they were setting it up at first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, you know, maybe he can master his environment. Right. Yeah. And, you know, that's a, that's one other thing that um, kind of if you really start thinking about it, it, it sort of it is uh, the writer being clever, but it, in the logic of the world, it wouldn't work. And that is that every time he goes into the train world, in order for him to end his mission, he's to die. Right. So if he doesn't die from the explosion of the train, then he, they have to have him die by the train hitting his head on the tracks. And then they have to have him die by uh, he gets shot, you know. And so in every instance, they had to find a way that that made him die. And after a while, that could be a little contrived. Like it's like the writer constantly had to come up with ways that he was going to die, because if he didn't, then the end would be revealed. And the end I love. Uh, we should probably talk about that, too. but. Um, I think there was a little bit, if, if you really start breaking it down, like it's a contrivance that past 90 minutes, you would start being like, wait a minute, like he's going to die every single time. Why can't he just walk away? Why can't he, you know, why can't he just walk free from his mission and go live in the simulation forever? Right. Um, exactly. Yeah. yeah. But, but, but let's thoroughly enjoyed that. Yeah. Though. Yeah. What did you think about the ending? So um, I'm, I'm sure that you guys have all seen it here. If anyone has an opinion about the ending, please let us know. Use the raise hand tool uh, in your app and uh, let us know. But um, what did you think, uh, Futurosity? I thought the ending was quite beautiful. Um, I was talking earlier about the arc that we had a chance to see through Jake Gyllenhaal's character as he slowly starts to believe in that world. You know, at first, this is non-reality. He's being harsh to people. He's beating up people, assaulting them. And then slowly he gets warmer. He starts telling people how much he cares about them, even though literally he's only spent eight minutes over and over again with these people. Um, just the fact that he chooses to give the comedian the last few hundred bucks in his pocket just to, you know, warm up the crowd, um, just to give these people an enjoyable moment. And he's expecting everyone to possibly die. He's not really sure this. Continue. So I like the fact that he wanted those people on a train car to have one last positive moment before they all die. And the fact that it didn't occur, that was the cherry on top. So they realized, oh, you know what? This is real. It's beyond real to him. It's not just another simulation. This is another reality. Yeah. So it was quite beautiful in many ways. Um, he actually found acceptance within his situation, his life, 
I mean, also his previous relationships with his family, you know, he had a chance to talk to his father and put all the pieces together. Um, but there is something a little strange. He stole someone's body, <laughs> stole someone's life, and they never acknowledged that's true. that. So that's the one little thing about this technology is that you're taking over another person's existence. Totally. And they never said that person's existence is somewhere else, pushed away. Um, it, that was a little disturbing where I think about it. A guy was erased and you know, his friend, his female friend, obviously seemed to like the new guy better. <laughs> that was a little strange. That's totally true. What about that guy's family? What about his parents? What about his friends? What about his job? All of that is like, oh, well, we just <laughs> annihilated somebody. That's completely true. I, I, I didn't quite think about that. Um, but I, I do agree with you, though, that I love the idea that you um, pull the plug in one world to, to be able to live in the other world. And I think they kind of got around the idea that it's not just a simulation by explaining that it's sort of a quantum machine that allows you to sort of, um, it doesn't necessarily time travel. It teleports you to an alternate reality, a parallel universe where you made a different choice. And I love that idea of the multiverse where you, there's, um, you know, every time you make a choice, the opposite choice was made, but it splintered off into a different quantum reality. And so this is sort of the perfect, idea of that. And I, I, I agree with you that I love that in the first version, he was more negative and he was a soldier, but then he decided, well, if I'm going to splinter my life off into a different reality, I might as well make it a sort of utopian reality where people live their best lives. And so I'm going to go live my best life with Michelle Monaghan, and I'm going to let this comedian live his best life and I'm going to reconnect with my dad. So I, I do really like that. And I like how the comedian uh, gets everyone to laugh. And so the final images you see of this world at the moment that the other world's plug is being pulled is everyone laughing. Everyone's having their best life. And, uh, and then he kisses, uh, the girl, right? He gets, he, he falls in love, I guess you'd say. And in that moment, in that kiss is when the two worlds, a splinter off from each other. And the one version of him is dead. And then he lives on to have a whole other life in the other simulation. It's very nice. It's very nice. I think I think Austin has something to say about that. <laughs> Austin, no, no, he doesn't. Okay. All right. Um, cool. Well, um, yeah. Any other thoughts on the plot? I think that pretty much pretty much covers it covers it for me. I do think it's a nice ending, but there is that there is that lingering feeling like, oh yeah, murder. He murdered somebody to get there, but we'll just forget that for now. It's totally true. actually. I liked actual breakdown of the terrorist plot you know they actually mm. had a nice little moment of healing the nature of the plot you know the people that were involved i i thought that was actually a nice um mystery moment when you suddenly realize oh, okay this is the purpose of this entire plot that it's not just a single attack it's possibly multiple attacks and one twist um you know since we're talking spoilers <laughs> double cell phone for the bomb i thought that was a really cool concept where you keep mm. failing over and over again. You think you defuse the bomb and suddenly realize, oh, there's a second remote trigger. I, mm. I, I love that trope. I've seen it mm. before, but it still is refreshing. You suddenly realize, okay, there's still a chance that all this can go wrong, even though we put in all this effort. So right. quite satisfying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I guess, you know, now that we're mentioning it, though, the other well, a little bit unbelievable moment is when he catches the actual bomber and the bomber's like, oh, let me give you my twirly mustache plot now. I'll just like open my van to you and tell you my entire philosophy on life and like my entire evil guy plot. But whatever, they got to they got to just get 
get going, I guess. Um, all right. All right. So characters, let's, let's talk a little bit about the characters. Um, we touched on it a, a little bit. I mean, they don't, they don't have too much time. It's a very streamlined movie, right? So we don't have too much time, but I think they found a nice balance of, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal's character having issues with his father. He wasn't able to say goodbye. He learned that he died in Afghanistan and he had, a, I guess, a fight with his father before he left. And now he's able to call his father as this other person and say, sort of lie to his dad and say, I'm, I, I served with your uh, son. He was a great man and he uh, spoke highly of you. And that's a very nice moment. It kind of was like, I get, you know, it, it was a nice uh sort of way to bookend that storyline and give us a little bit of emotion there. Um, and then also uh, the, the the love interest. I think that story was a, a nice added touch where she's, you know, she's been waiting for him to ask her for coffee for like three or four weeks in this, in the reality before Jake Gyllenhaal gets into the movie. And finally he's able to connect with her in some ways um, I guess they connect over, uh, you could tell she's a good person and, you know, that kind of a thing. And it, it feels like a natural connection though. I don't know. How did you feel about that? Funny enough. I remember the first time I saw the movie, I thought there was going to be a romantic angle between Jake Gyllenhaal's character and the major, um, his mm -hmm. handler. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if it's just Jake Gyllenhaal's natural charisma, but I thought there were sparks between them as well. You know, when he asks the major, oh, do you happen to be married? You know, right. he's, oh, when they start to get to know each other and also the fact that she sacrificed her career and possibly her freedom right. by turning off the machine, you know, life support. Right. Uh, there were military MPs about to arrest her. So I felt like the fact that he made a connection with that character so closely with his handler when literally he's communicating by essentially he speaks within his own little reality. He's actually text on a window for her to read. Right. So he's even disconnected in many ways. You know, the fact that she was able to build that relationship with him just through text alone, I found it quite fascinating. Mm -hmm. uh, it was actually a really interesting relationship to build. Uh, yeah. There was a, they have a love interest, but then we had this true kind of friendship and partnership that was also brewing. That's a nice balance. A lot of times in movies, um, unfortunately, you know, if it's two women and one guy, they try to make people go against each other. But it was kind of nice that he was able to have two independent relationships with people and one romantic and one that's a friendship that build on each other. I yeah, thought it was so, quite well done. Totally. I, for me, the linchpin between their relationship was soldier to soldier. Like, I, you're, you're in the military. I'm in the military. We understand each other. Um, what would you do if you were in my position? I'm on, I'm on a mission. I'm basically sort of enslaved by the military. Now they've got my consciousness. They're using me to get blown up every eight minutes. And, um, I'm going to be a lifer. Like I'm going to be, uh, sort of a soldier who's killed every eight minutes for the rest of eternity, unless you help me like, and so I think that they could connect, uh, in the soldier to soldier way. And that's how I saw their relationship. But I, I think it's a good one. I think it was, that was enough for me that I believe that, that, um, she felt oh, that way. Yeah. What did you feel like about the, uh, Jeffrey Wright character? Well, I love Jeffrey Wright as an actor. Yeah, he's the best. But sometimes, you know, it depends on role in a script given because he quickly went from okay you know he's an eccentric scientist to stash twirling let's break down the door guy so it's a it's a hard one mm -hmm. he had a very hard turn when it comes to the ending you know so first it seems somewhat reasonable mm -hmm. you know, it's this slightly unethical scientist who's using this technology to 
save millions of lives. I mean, yeah, he deserves some praise, but at the same time, his techniques and his you know, personal values, eh, they're not the best. So I, I did enjoy just the complexity of the character, but at the same time, he got a little more classic villainish by the end. Yeah, he did. Uh, what did you um, what did you make of the fact that he had a crutch? I feel like that was a significant in some way, like, um, but I couldn't quite put my finger on what it was, if it was just like a character kind of uh, twitch or if it was had a deeper meaning to it. Did you get anything from that? See, that's what I was missing, because when I first noticed it, I thought I assumed it meant that he might have been a veteran. It's like the mm. main character. But then I realized, OK, no, he's a civilian um, that way. Jake Gyllenhaal's character has a deeper connection with the major. Mm -hmm. So I didn't really understand. Um, it, it, but it was nice just for, you know, showing diverse right. people as they are. But it didn't seem like it was anything involved in the plot whatsoever. Right. Um, nothing about his background was really revealed. Right. Yeah, no, that's it's interesting. Uh, Desert friend, Des Desert Spider just jumped from those from the from the from the heavens. <laughs> How's it going, Desert Spider? Nice, Whoa. nice bungee jump there. That was a, <laughs> that was a cool cool maneuver. Um, but uh, but, yeah, the Jeffrey Wright character was a, was an interesting <laughs> one. I love him as well. I love him in Westworld and everything he he does. Um, it, it was you know he was he oh he did start off being like. Jake Gyllenhaal's character was just his experiment. And more so, we discover it was his uh, ambition, right? Like his whole life was based on this project. And if it didn't work, he was out of uh, his dream. And so um, he was he had a really a lot invested in making sure that uh, Jake Gyllenhaal kept doing what he was doing and that it succeeded. I like that in the other reality that we end up in, Jake Gyllenhaal calls the station to tell the major that, you know, you stopped a train attack today. Congratulations. And she walks into the office to tell, you know, Jeffrey Wright, and he's kind of like, ah, it didn't work. I can't believe it. Next time. We'll, we'll get the right timing next time, you know? And it's like, oh, maybe in the better reality, in an ironic way, the guy who's trying to stop terrorist attacks, um, is the one that needs to be stopped almost like he becomes the uh the terrorist of a jake gyllenhaal character in a, in a certain way and so he becomes um duplicitous and and sort of uh dark natured in that and so it's kind of fun that um he needs to be thwarted of his plan to stop terrorism because he does it in a dark way i'm glad you brought that up um that you know the ethical and moral dilemma that came up and also the fact that when you think of that character in the circumstances you realize Hey, you know what? This is deeply wrong. I mean, this is a veteran that gave everything. Right. Suddenly, he wiped away his rights, and just said, "Well, it's okay that you don't have rights because military tribunal or a judge that it's perfectly okay." Now, the fact that he just said, "Hey, the law is on my side, and you can do whatever you want," it, it was quite disturbing. That's the fascinating thing about that character. He's so wrong in so many right. levels. Also, he almost wanted chaos in order to use his technology to get fame. So it's always a scary thing. Is there are many people out there in the real world who kind of hope something bad happens so they could use their skills. Yeah. It's a it's a strange yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah. And in that way, he's probably the most gray character. He's the one who is the most ambiguous from a, a moral point of view. Um, but yeah, if anyone has any other thoughts on the characters before we move on, we got Desert Spider, David Veronica's husband, and Ender. If anyone else has anything uh about the plot of the characters, let us know. Um, otherwise we'll just, uh, roll right along here. Um, 
to the point. What's the point? What's the point of all this? Is there a point? <laughs> uh, yeah, I think so. I think so. We sort of touched on it. Um, the most interesting idea to me with the, the themes is the idea of the multiverse and the idea that uh, you can create a better reality for yourself, which I think is really the idea of, of Simulation Nation in general. So I think that this movie really touches on that where it's like, you know, Simulation Nation we was kind of born out of the pandemic when the, the election was happening. And it was just like there was so much chaos and madness out there. It's like, let's go build a better reality. Let's like Simulation Nation was born out of the like fire and brimstone of the chaos of 2020. And it's like, I'm going to go and build a better reality. And here we are. And I think that this movie kind of touches on that nicely as well. I definitely think so. I mean, think of it this way. It was positivity and love that Jay Gyllenhaal's character really fully went headfirst into. And when you think of life in general, you don't express your feelings at the right time, you're going to miss out. And that's essentially what happened with him and his father. They didn't have a chance to actually have a real conversation. They weren't communicating. Left off on the wrong foot. Same thing as Jake Gyllenhaal and the love interest. Um, in real life, the previous inhabitant of that body didn't have a chance to express himself. He didn't ask the girl out to go get right. coffee. It took Jake Gyllenhaal to eventually inhabit his body and take that leap of faith and go for it. And essentially, hey, let me open myself up, be vulnerable and express love. Um, so that's a nice way to button up the whole story, you know, yeah. being true to yourself and loving people is the best way to live. And that's essentially what he did. He got a whole new lot on life and a literal all new life because he made that choice. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I often think that a movie... Once you finish the movie and you re recognize what the message of the movie was, it, it can make or break it. It can take it up a notch or it can really just take it down a notch. And I feel like this movie did all the right things to take it to that next level. It wasn't just a gimmick about a time loop and a guy trying to solve uh, a, a bomb on a plane. It became more than that. And, you know, I, I always think that it doesn't take that much to take your movie to the next level. You just need to think it through and express it by the end. Uh, and and you can go there. And I feel like this writer and Duncan Jones as well, they, they did that where they didn't slow down uh, the thriller aspects of the movie. They didn't sacrifice the thrills for the message in the end. They made it work uh, perfectly within this, the structure of the thriller that they had. So I think they did a great job of, of just elevating the material um, in that act three. Where it could have gone the easy route, which would have just been the the. It's like I feel like movies these days, especially like Marvel movies, they go into like autopilot as soon as Act Three hits, where it's just like, okay, well, we got the huge battle now, so let's just like give, let's just let the writer have a day off and give it to the effects people and let them come up with cool explosions. <laughs> it's like this movie didn't do that, which I'm thankful for. Yeah, I like the fact they went for the emotional ending instead of the. Because they could have easily said, oh, the terrorists have five more. It must go on. Instead, they, they just get together at the park, go walk. Right. And he's totally broke. So they can't even really have a first date because he spent his last little bit of money paying the comedian, which I thought was a little cute moment. Right. <laughs> and I like how they end up at that. Um, the, the, the What do they call that thing? The peanut or the, 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 the bean? Oh, yeah. <laughs> the Chicago bean. The bean. The peanut. <laughs> <laughs> the Chica I, I like that because it feels 
like a quantum warped reality, right? Like it's, it, I think I've got it on the slide here. Yeah, that one. Oh, there it, we go. Yeah, it's like, it, it's, it sort of warps reality a little around the edges. And then also when you look at his reflection, it's the other guy, right? So it's like, we're seeing the both realities meet in that world at that moment. And I just think that's a, a really uh, nice sort of symbol or metaphor that ties all the realities together. Pretty nice. Um, all right. So, oh yeah, here's, 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 I guess, one more picture. I'm going to put these pictures on uh, Instagram. So for anyone who's listening to this on the podcast, go to the Simulation Nation uh, Instagram and you'll see these pictures. Um, all right. So, so the tech, so the, the, the tech here, uh, we talked a little bit about this quantum device and you talked at the beginning about this fact that there's an eight minute residual electrical charge through your brain or so they say after you die. I don't know if any of that's true. It's what my friend calls sci-fi gobbledygook. Um, and it's what I think Rick and Morty calls um, sci-fi genre rigmarole. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> does it make sense? Does it need to make sense? I don't know. What do you think? I, I think the general rule is as long as you follow the logic of the question that you create. If you say, hey, this world and everything else falls into place following that rule, I'm fine with it. If you say eight minutes, right. that's okay. But you have to keep it consistent. That's right. the only thing. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. The technology itself, oh, this was 10 years ago when this came out. And right now we are talking about neural interface connecting chips directly to human brains. I mean, there's currently you know, public experiments right now with pigs and monkeys. So we're very close to, you know, neural interface technology being mainstream. So within the past 10 years, it's definitely leaps and bounds above kind of the crude version that they showed so it's definitely feasible. Totally. You know, the, the movie that um, this reminds me of is Deja Vu. Have you ever seen Deja Vu with Denzel? Ah, yeah. It, it kind of it kind of does this, but I feel like it doesn't do it as well, where it's like he can go back only like five minutes into an alternate reality to see like, uh, you know, another terrorist attack. It's, it's very similar, actually. Um. Yeah, you're right. But it, it gets a little bit more convoluted and it takes place over the entire city and it just is like, what the heck is going on? Whereas this one keeps it nice and contained and, and, and it makes sense. But I think that one was like, you can go back five minutes in time or something like that. Whereas this one is like, you can go back eight minutes after a person has died. But it, does that make sense though? Because it happened more than eight minutes before... Uh, the, the actual movie takes place, right? Like it takes place, I, we assume um, later that day. So maybe six, eight hours later, but then he goes back and he's got eight, I guess because he can go back into the other reality, into the mind eight minutes before it dies. Is that the idea? Essentially. Now, <laughs> that's the one thing they didn't explain fully. Right. As you do the math and it's hard to tell if it's the same. I'm assuming it was that same one. Um, but the other concept I was thinking about as far as that timeline is, um, you know, this is the very first experiment of its sort. So they're saying this is the very first full trial run. Right. So it seemed like they had a very clear idea of what was going to occur until, you know, he learned about the branching reality, right. uh, which uh, which I actually thoroughly enjoyed. Right. The fact that it was an unintended consequence of this experiment dealing with quantum mechanics that, you know, they're playing the technology that's above and beyond their understanding, the fact that they didn't fully know it, I, I did thoroughly think that was smarter way to pull off the technology because they couldn't have given us a bunch of gobbledygook 
to say, hey, this is how it works. They just said, hey, yeah. this is an accident. This is a byproduct of a different process. Right. That's interesting. I actually like that kind of sci-fi mm. better than no babble that someone just randomly puts together. I, mistake. I'm good. Okay. With yeah. That that totally makes sense. Yeah. Absolutely. Um. It's yeah. So you know, I I agree that um. Okay. There's a there's a little bit of sci-fi stuff that is just like uh doesn't quite make sense in the real world, but it's okay. You can forgive it that it's only got like two simple rules, right? And they follow those rules. And so that's what, that's what movies are. That's what, you know, movie magic is. We can't expect it to be like, uh, you know, a true quantum physicist has created the exact rules of the world here. So I, I like the tech. I like the idea. Um, and, uh, the idea of the multiverse is only uh, growing. So, you know, I think we're going to see a lot of that in the Marvel comic universe. By the way, have you watched Loki yet tonight? Anyone? Has anyone seen Loki season episode five yet? Oh, Ender's yeah. like, right after this, we're going. Oh, yeah. Uh, David has maybe. David is like, maybe has seen it. Don't give any spoilers. Um, but there's a lot of multiverse stuff going on. I feel like the whole next decade of Marvel is going to be multiverse kind of stuff. Um, which I'm totally down for. Same thing with DC. Is it? Um, you know, multiverse is huge right. with DC. Um, I know the Flash movie is happening too. I think the multiverse concept is way more mainstream. I remember right. hearing about the multiverse in like 1980 something when I was a little kid. And now it's mainstream. We can watch regular news and people talk about multiversal concepts um, on mainstream news. So it's definitely in the zeitgeist. It's on our minds and people are exploring totally. it. Um, real scientists real technology is tapping right. into it totally. so we'll figure out if the simulation theory is right or not yeah for sure cool um all right well you know what time it is wow wow, wow. <laughs> that's right it's wow score time and that means everyone here you guys got to give us your wow score 10 wows is like this is the greatest movie of all time uh zero wows is like what the hell did i just watch uh use the race hand option give us your wow score uh, and we'll, we'll start here. So, um, who wants to go first? Me or you? Well, um, I think you already know how I feel about this. I movie. do, but uh, mine's a little easy. What's that? <laughs> mine's a little easy. I, I have to give this a nine, a, a nine minimum. It, it's it. early rewatchable, thoroughly enjoyable. And it's just great to see a director growing within, you know, from movie to movie, you know, just ups and bounds. As wow, this guy's person to watch. You know, I mean, every time I think of Duncan Jones now, I'm like, what's next? You know, it's like, right. This movie definitely, as a second movie, you have to give him credit. He definitely deserves it. What did he do after this, by the way? I don't even know. World of Warcraft. Um, I haven't had a chance uh... to see it. Um, I, I used to play World of Warcraft, but um, yeah, I didn't have a chance to see the movie yet. Mm, yeah. Huge blockbuster, right. from what I remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So, so here's, here's, here's my, uh, so you give it a nine. That's great. So I, I, uh, for all the reasons I've mentioned, loved it, love the script, super tight. They don't, they don't make the mistake of making it too long. Also, it's a nice tight 90 minutes. It's a thriller. You, it keeps you guessing. It goes that extra mile to give you sort of a meaning in the end that you can take away from the movie is not just a thriller, but also like something that teaches you about life and philosophy of how to be a better person and all that. So it does everything right. The performances are great. They got great cast. It looks great. Um, the one downside to it, like I said, at the very beginning is that it's for me, it's, it's the rewatchable element. It's not as rewatchable for me. It's like, 
I, I don't think I'll need to see this movie for another 10 years. So I, I love it, but it's not something that I'm going to watch over and over again. And the reason I think is mainly because of the fact that it is that uh, time loop thing that it stays on a train. Um, and that, that for me is not its fault, right? Like if I made this movie, I would be so like happy with it. It's so great in so many ways. And I think that they executed this concept uh, to the best of their ability. Like, I don't think you could have had a different director execute it better than it has been executed. So I feel like this concept with this team and this, this cast is, is perfect. Uh, having said that, it's just a movie that for me, I don't need to keep watching over and over. So I'm giving it eight and a half wows, which is pretty good. Very, it was just, yeah, it's still pretty good. Uh, you thought I was going lower, but I didn't. I'll tell you the truth. Um, when I first saw it, I assumed this was going to be a series. Mm. Um, the basic concept is very, you know, as they say, refillable. So I thought this was going to be some kind of trilogy. I thought they were going to move on to the next you know, army volunteer who mm. goes on the next mission. So that's what surprised me about it, because I thought the scope and scale of it felt very much like it was ready to expand into something bigger. Mm. And you know, I, I think it's a complete movie, but I mean, I actually kind of want more. Mm. I wonder how well it did at the box office, because I feel like if it was a major hit, it would have had a sequel, but it must not have done so well that they can do that. I, I would imagine that. But you would also you would even think like, OK, for the sequel, we can't get Jake Gyllenhaal, but we'll get like the poor man's Jake Gyllenhaal and we'll just make like a sort of B-movie uh, sequel like you would, and then cash cash in on the. But I wonder how it did at the box office. I don't know if anyone here knows uh, how it did, but it must not have done as well as they had hoped or else they would have done that for sure. Yeah. And it's hard to get a sequel now. You know, I mean, you did the, they do the math. I mean, very hard. There's a couple of spreadsheets where you could just dial in the numbers and see if it's worth it or not. So that's the hardest part about it. You get a little concept, but there's, you know, the coin flip half the time. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, for, for sure. Um, all right. Well, anyone else want to give their uh, give their score or give their thoughts? Ender's like, ah, well, oh, here we go. Someone's going to hop in with their opinion. Desert Spider. What you got, Desert Spider? Hey, hey, thanks for taking my, I don't know what you call it, call. So <laughs> I just looked it up on Box Office Mojo. Worldwide, it made $147 million. Oh, um, for I'm I'm guessing this was more of an independent movie. Um, it sounds to me like perhaps at the very least it made its money back. Um, I don't know the budget of this film, but as far as my wow score, I have to say that for me, I reserve nines and tens for my absolute favorite movies of all time. Mm -hmm. That's just for me. I don't expect other people to do that. And this don't get me wrong. This movie is absolutely worth watching. I, I would give it a score of a solid eight. I would not go up to eight and a half myself, but um, to me, a solid eight is a movie that I would recommend to other people. It's just not one of my favorite films of all time. Totally. No, that's really fair. Why? What do you think was missing or why do you think it didn't make it into that category of an eight and a half or a, a best movie of all time or for something? That, that's an easy question to answer. For me personally, it... The, I hate to say this, um, after watching it and spending, let's just say months later, even though this was a good movie to revisit, 
this movie was forgettable for me. Right. I hate to say that. Right. But because it, it was a good movie. Right. It was a solidly good movie. Right. Um, but like, for example, like even, even a movie that's not one of my favorites of all time, like even the first Jurassic Park to me was so unbelievably unforgettable. Mm -hmm. Having that first experience in the theater, this movie didn't reach that bar for me. For sure. Totally agree. No, that's really, really valid points. I feel the same way you, you articulated it uh, in, a, in a very nice way there. It doesn't have that, for me, that X factor, that wow factor, that something that's just like, oh my God, that's so cool. It's so original. It, it executed this movie very well, but in the end, it didn't have that spark to take it over the edge, for sure. I completely agree. Yep. Cool. All right. Well, thanks. Thanks for your uh, score you. and your thoughts there. Uh, anyone else? Anyone else? I know you're dying to uh, give your score ender. <laughs> no? <laughs> okay. All right, cool. Uh, any other uh, thoughts, uh, Futurosity, before we uh, head out of here? Well, I just hope to see this movie again. I mean, I've watched it at least once in the last eight months. Uh, I don't know why. It's been on my... Um, it's definitely been on my queue a couple times. Nice. I, I, it's kind of fun to just purchase it because this is like the second or third time I've rented in the last two years, I think. <laughs> nice. I, I don't know. It's just it's a simple concept. It's a simple, great execution of a concept. Um, to be honest, I wish there was maybe a little more of a twist. I mean, I think the revelation that they were opening up expanded realities, um, it, it wasn't that huge of a wild twist. It was a mild, oh, that's kind of cool. Right. So I, I will admit that, but I don't know, something nice. Love Jake Gyllenhaal. I love the performance. Right. I, I nice. might be seeing this again in six months. Nice. Cool. All right. Uh, well, uh, how can uh, people get to Futurosity if uh, they'd like to? Oh, yeah. You go and say hi to me at Twitter. Um, I am at Jonathan Boyce. Um, you know, I'm, I'm I think of Twitter's is a great way to connect with folks. I keep my actual feed private. But if you send me a DM and start a chat, see what we can do. All right. Very cool. Uh, all right. Well, thank you for teleporting into this worldcast of Simulation Nation, whether you are with us in virtual reality like these fine avatars here or watching on YouTube or listening to the podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcast. And remember to subscribe to our Instagram at the Simulation Nation, Twitter at SimNationVR, Facebook and Discord. And join us tomorrow, actually, for our interview with Altspace engineer Jimmy Shang, who will answer all your burning questions uh, your your technical questions, your questions about where Altspace is headed and what they're doing uh, from an engineering point of view. It's going to be very informative, so please come check that out. Uh, and until then, stay plugged, my friends. <laughs>